Welcome to Ordinary Fellowship, a podcast inspired by the Puritan practice of godly conference, or spiritual conversations among believers. These spiritual conversations offer practical spiritual help for Christian living. Welcome to Ordinary Fellowship. I'm Jeremy Lee, and with me as always is my faithful co-host, sidekick. That's all today. Oh, that's all? Okay. Hey, Jeremy. Matthew McLaughlin. Hello. I should probably say your name. It would generally be helpful, but we'll be okay. So I always try to remind everybody, if you if you like Ordinary Fellowship, make sure to like and subscribe to us on the podcast service that you listen to us on it. It gives us more visibility in, in Apple if you give us a good rating. If you're going to give us bad rating, then don't rate us, but... Uh, good ratings are appreciated. Bad ratings, just write Matthew a nasty email and he'll fix it for you. And if you enjoy the episodes, we encourage you to share these with your friends, family. That way others can enjoy uh, the same podcast uh, that you're listening to as well. We like, we just want to get the word out that uh, we're doing Ordinary Fellowship and the things we're discussing we think are valuable. Hopefully, if you're listening, you think it's valuable too, so spread the word. Um, today, uh, we have some special guests with us. Uh, our first guest, uh, you know him because he's been on here before, is our pastor, uh, Mac Williams. Hello. Thanks for having Good to have you here. And we have a, another guest who's never been on here before, probably never even listened to our podcast. We'll punish him later. Cameron Daniels is with us. Hi. <laughs> We're glad, glad to have you with us today. We're here to discuss uh, the Southern Baptist Convention uh, that occurred several weeks ago. Uh, because of conflicts in our schedule, we weren't able to get to it right away, but um, we're, we're here to discuss it today. Cameron and Mac are with us because they, they attended uh, SBC, the Southern Baptist Convention in Anaheim this year, and so uh, they're going to help us basically give a report and uh, the impressions they had of what happened there. So put Cameron on the spot and make him talk first. <laughs> what were some of your overall impressions of the convention? This was your first time going to one at all, right? Yes, yes it yeah. was. So what, what were your overall, overall impressions? I thought it was really encouraging, but at the same time, weird to see people not necessarily argue, but voice their opinions and people shoot them down and everything. But also at the same time, it was really cool to see everyone worshiping and everyone wanting to make God's word the uh, how they th- how they think that the word is right written. Right. Anything else? That's really it. All right. Was the weather nice in Anaheim? It was actually perfect. (laughs) I bet it was. So, Mac, what were your overall general impressions of the convention? Well, first I'll say this. The reason we didn't meet last week was because of my complication. And my complication was there were a number of pastors who were getting together for lunch at the same time that we were planning. And they were all uh, talking about the convention. You know, so it got got extra insight. (laughs) Uh, there were probably 15, maybe more, who were there City Barbecue. Uh, so These are f- pastors from the Greater Dayton Association, yeah, yeah. correct? From the 
Yeah, I think they were on. They were all in the Dayton Association. Yes. Okay. So, um, and that was the first question they asked us. Uh, we actually divided them into three groups because it was kind of hard. Rest right. Can't really fit fifteen people all together. And a lot of the comments were the word encouraging. You know, came up a number of times. Uh, I could include include the word encouraging, but my word was mixed. Uh, there was encouragement mixed with the concern. <laughs> so, um, so that was so as far as just so that's an overall impression. There were a number of things that were encouraging. Uh, we got to see fifty-two missionaries, either singles, couples, or families that were commissioned going to places all over the world. I mean, that was really cool. That was really really neat to see that. I've seen that one other time um, in years past, but uh, that's really special to see that and hear realize what these people are, what they've done, how they've prepared themselves for this, and their willingness to go to very difficult places. A good percentage of them, we weren't even able to see them or know their their real names right. because they were oftentimes going into dangerous places. So. Uh, so that was really, so it's always encouraging to see things like that. The worship was really good. We talked about the worship a lot. They had a really good uh, uh, worship team, you know, who was uh, very good, you know, as far as their musical talent and ability. But the songs were excellent. And there was, I mean, they, they really, uh, it, was, it was a really good time for something. Most of us, that was our favorite time was whenever we would sing worship together. So that was really neat. I, I haven't had to. I haven't listened to it yet, but I've heard a lot of people comment on, I can't remember his first name, but Mr. Sanchez, Juan Sanchez. That's what I thought it was, but I wasn't sure. Uh, a lot of good comments on his, I think that was the convention message. Yeah, I don't the know. Convention how. Sermon, convention okay, yeah, 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 yeah. And it was from Ephesians 4, some of the gifts that God gives to the church and so forth. And it was excellent. It was really, really good. Definitely worth listening. Yeah. Very good. Any. Any other highlights then, or overall impressions from the convention? One thing that's still it's encouraging to me too. I mean, we got we got to hear reports on different seminaries. We missed some of those because we actually were going to a seminary luncheon, and so we had to leave a little early uh, right. for that. So we missed some of the reports, but uh, but even what I read later, I mean, uh, one thing that was mentioned by all of them, you know. Uh, some way or another, was their commitment, you know, to the scriptures and uh, you know, to be faithful to the to the scriptures and their, and their classes and their teaching. And so, and so the fact that we have six seminaries who are all now they you know have different flavors, you know, of course within that, but at the same time they all are are uh, are committed, you know, to the authority of the scripture. So that's encouraging. It hasn't always been that way. Recent decades, it has become that way. So that's so, so that's encouraging to see if that's still the case. Yeah. So Cameron, you mentioned the debates back and forth. Sometimes that can trouble people. Like, oh no, there's division. What was your impression of the discussions? Were they like Twitter discussions, <laughs> or what? Did it bother you that these this was going on? What was your impression of that? It was kind of the opposite than probably most. It was more encouraging because I was like, oh, these people want to voice their opinions on what they understand is necessary to grow the SBC. Some of them were probably wrong and some of them were right, right. but it was nice to see 
oh, these people actually care about the Bible and care to have everybody else know what is true. Right, so the discussions didn't bother you. You thought it was a positive thing that they were able to discuss it. Until there was some where they would voice something where it's like, okay, you don't need to voice that right now. Then it would get confusing with what was happening with other stuff. And it would be like, oh, why did you just say that? I'm not getting why you mentioned that. Yeah. Yeah, Kind of the whole Robert Trills. Right. Yeah, that's... Which ends up, when you're listening, you're trying to follow. You can easily get confused about things. (laughs) Yeah. What am I voting on now? (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Is this the Third Amendment to the First Amendment to, the, yeah that that stuff? It I don't know how the parliamentarian keeps track of all that stuff. That's that's got to be a a gift. Although some people think it's a curse, huh, huh Matthew? True. <laughs> Those are your overall impressions, and it's good to hear encouraging words. There, I think there were two main issues probably going into the Southern Baptist Convention that people were concerned about, and then one that one that was probably an undercurrent but popped up really big time during the convention. So let's let's try to discuss attacking it however you want. If it your understanding where the Southern Baptists are going, what you thought of the debate that was going on, or anything like that. The first issue, of course, was the presidency. Tom Askell and Bart Barber were running for the presidency of the SBC. Of course, Bart Barber won. So um, thoughts on the presidential, I don't want to call it a race. That sounds dirty, but it uh, it is what it is. (laughs) We voted for Tom Askell. Uh, That's who I wanted to win. He didn't win. The good thing I will say is I believe, from what I know of Bart Barber, uh, what I've read, I really think he's a good guy. I think he's probably, even though he's not who I voted for, he's probably still the best president we've had in several years. Um, you know, so I think at least he has the potential to be. So I think there's a lot of positives uh, there, even even though, in my opinion, I we would rather have had Tom Asquart. Barbara seems more the idea of um, kind of we're going pretty well. Let's just keep going with the way we are and just kind of stay unified, you know. Tom Askell had more the idea that he felt like there were some serious issues that needed to be brought up and needed to be addressed. And so he was perfectly willing to address those issues. I agree with him. I think there are some things, and so I uh, would have been more comfortable with him there. But at the same time, I think we got a good president. Uh, It wasn't my first choice. (laughs) Right. And I've told you this before, but I I felt like in spite of our, our preferences, whatever they may be, this wasn't the same as last year, where you had a guy that guy that eventually won who was really troublesome, and it became even more evident after he was elected. And found out he was plagiarizing sermons and things like that. Um, it was the choice between two good guys. You may have had a preference one way or the other, but um, either one wins. Where were probably okay, um, but another guy like Lytton uh, wouldn't wouldn't have been positive. And I'm not sure the other two. I think they they seem to be good guys too, from what I saw. But I didn't you know any of them personally. Or yeah, I didn't even I didn't even pay any attention yeah. to them. The one guy was at the last minute. <laughs> yeah, we weren't even prepared. Yeah, yeah, and then the, I think he is he one who nominated himself. 
No, that was for no. the second vice president. Yeah, second vice president. Yeah. So, anyway, that was... He was in at the last minute, so there's no time to even consider this guy. And the other guy is... that It was clear just from things you see on social media and conversations going on that the, the two possibilities were Askell and Barber. There wasn't really any other chance for the other guy. I think one thing that we can understand as a separation in the presidential election is this is the first year in a while where we haven't had a megachurch pastor be the president. Yeah. So that changes the flavor of who the president is and how they view things. And I think that affects, in a positive way, where we go forward. Because it's not... This megachurch is just more of a local church, so it's just a different. Whereas the, at least the last three three elections, we've had guys who they've had like, like somewhere between five and ten thousand people on a Sunday morning. Yeah, so I I think that's a positive thing yeah. because then he and Askell was the same way. Right. He wasn't a megachurch pastor, so either way that that would have ended up being a positive thing because then you have people who represents more the norm of the Southern Baptists rather than, because it's rare to have a mega church. So it's good to have it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe in Cleveland. <laughs> or if you sell your soul and start preaching the prosperity gospel, you could have lots of people. <laughs> good. So Cameron, did you have any thoughts about the presidency? Yeah, I did a little bit of research while we were there on the two different ones. And I know my friend Noah, he was really looking into Bart Barber because there was something that he said about, I think, abortion, honestly. And he was like, he said something, and it was actually a really good comment. I can't remember what he said. But at the end of the day, my opinion was they're both Southern Baptists, and either it isn't like you're voting for the presidential election or something like that. At the end of the day, whoever wins, it isn't going to go. They have these major flaws, but I think... You're lucky you weren't there last year. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know what I would have done, just because I probably would have been a little too not smart on who I was voting with, but... (laughs) Yeah. So, All right, good. Any other thoughts about the presidency? Say this. I, I heard... Just last week, a uh, podcast that Tom Askell did, and he said he actually, he, he, he had forgotten, I guess he had forgotten about this, but back in 2018, he had encouraged Bart Barber to run for president yeah. four years ago. Yeah. So it was somebody that he knew, and you know, so uh, that was interesting to, to hear. But uh. So the, the other big thing, of course, was, this was probably the biggest thing, was the sexual abuse report uh, came out just before the SBC Cameron, did you know much about that? I know really anything leading up until the convention itself with, honestly, the president or anything like that. I just knew that it was a major thing, and once we got there, we didn't actually know what we were voting on until the same day that it was actually you're voting on stuff, which that was kind of like, like what's going to happen, but... I think some of that, too, was the reports and everything when it came in. It was like, okay, Pastor Mac obviously knows what he's doing, so we will listen and not basically vote on the same thing he did, but listen to what he has input with because 
he's obviously right. one of the smartest people I know. <laughs> so. <laughs> I'm glad for your humility, Mac, but he's probably right. So. <laughs> so, anyways, what you what you're saying is you knew very little. Mm-hmm. You listened at the convention. You talked with Mac throughout, right. and that that helped inform right. ultimately your decision. As far as you know, what's what's your understanding of the sexual abuse? If you don't know, it's fine that you don't know. But I would say it was really, especially the task force, just seeing how we implemented. Okay, there's obviously real issues with how the um, Southern Baptist churches operate with that stuff. So let's uh, make it a point, uh, not points, resolutions to get that stuff out and help. Not just the the one church, but the whole community as SBC to get stuff out and help. Right. Okay. Good. Your thoughts, Mac? Since you're the smartest guy we know. <laughs> right. Actually, it was it was addressed from two different angles. Uh, one, it was addressed through the resolutions. Every year, the Southern Convention, there's a resolution committee, and there are resolutions or kind of um, sometimes described as statements of opinion or uh, stands on certain things that are talked about, resolutions committee that decides which ones they're going to use, those people submit, you know, ideas and write things up. And so um, so there were two of the resolutions that actually addressed the sexual abuse issue, at least two that I recall, that, that especially addressed that. One was on support for consistent laws regarding pastoral sexual and the, and the concern there was that laws vary from state to state, which uh, sometimes made it difficult. You know, if something you know if, uh, if something was 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 done in one state, and the person then moves to another state that doesn't have the same level of of, of, of laws, then uh, sometimes sometimes there's not a consistency there. So there was a so there was a, a, a resolution. For us to, uh, to just to encourage that there would be a consistency of laws related to those issues that would help in the big picture. The other one was, was uh, called lament and repentance for sexual abuse. So, and these resolutions always start with the number of whereases, which has, which uh, you know, we're giving biblical support for what the what the situation is, but also whereas has to do with what has been done or hasn't been done, things like that, and then therefore resolved, the resolves have to come from that. So that was, I think, uh, I think helpful because it's a, it's a lament, it's a recognition that sexual abuse is, is wrong, it's sinful, scripture is clear on that, but also it's uh, the fact of uh, resolves that we want to make, and part of that was a lament, you know, and uh, just uh, asking forgiveness, you know, admitting, you know, the... Uh, failures that it happened. That's one of the ways it was it was addressed was through those resolutions. One thing I'll mention here, that's good. Mixed in with that was a disappointment. Because when I read the sexual abuse report, the first thing that I thought of as I was going through was the big issue here is that churches have been not have not been consistent in practicing church discipline when those things have come up. And since churches have not been consistent in practicing church discipline, there are people who have sinned, have done wrong, but then allowed to continue on elsewhere because it wasn't 
Yeah. And so my disappointment was that was never brought up. To me, that was the biggest issue. I was remember when it, it did come up at one point. I was sitting beside Noah at that point. I told Noah, I said, we should have been talking about it. And now it's finally been brought up. And so, I mean, the task force never brought it up. That should have been something they talked about at length. Because that's the obvious problem. Never brought it up. These resolutions never brought it up. Somebody made an amendment on one of those resolutions and said, we need to, his amendment was to add the idea of, uh, of uh, church discipline, kind of from Rome, from uh, Matthew 18, and laying that out, very well done. And so that was the first time it was brought up, and I thought, finally, finally we're actually hitting the issue where it really needs to be hit. But what my frustration was is that other than that, it was never addressed, and it should have been. So that was, to me, that was a problem with that. The task force actually then gave us two recommendations there were some other things they said, you know, some uh, some challenges that they said they were they were encouraging people to consider and do. But two recommendations that we were supposed to vote on while we were there. One was to start was to uh, a one year task force to actually consider these issues and then come up with recommendations next year at the next year's convention. And that task force uh, was going to uh, consist of people nominated by the president. Which was one of the reasons to me who made pre- who was president was going to be important because I really think Bar Barber is a good chance he's going to nominate some people different than what Tom Askell would have said, which is going to make a huge difference on what comes out of that task force. Right. So we voted on that. One of the issues that kept coming up with that was uh, how much does that overreach as far as Southern Baptist polity, which really focuses on the autonomy of the of the local church. But here we're talking about an overarching committee as if at least there's the potential there to be like an authoritative structure over those churches and we don't that's not what we believe the Bible teaches for how churches are to govern themselves so um, that was discussed a number of times people were concerned about that there was all kinds of stuff that was going on before we ever got to the convention talking about that my hope is you know they've tried to kind of draw the line to the point where it won't be considered a uh, hierarchical kind of situation see it kind of depends on how that how that turns out but uh so that was something one of the things that i was especially help, uh, encouraged about though in that is that uh our friend jonathan newman passed coinos and troy he offered a amendment which honestly i thought they would probably reject it and his amendment really changed the whole scene of it for me because here's what was uh, for the here's what this committee was supposed to do study the guidepost recommendations that guidepost is the one who did that report on the sexual abuse study the guidepost recommendations for feasibility and bring an initial report to the 2023 annual meeting on which reforms could be adopted by the convention and how they should be implemented including guidepost recommendations for a survivor care fund a memorial alternating the caring well curriculum and the possible creation of a permanent committee or entity. That's actually a troubling statement. What he suggested struck out almost half of it. And so instead of studying the guidepost recommendations for feasibility, he said, we need to change that to studying Baptist polity and how these things relate to Baptist and Baptist polity. Changes the whole, I mean, it changes a lot. And then he said, the whole last half of that he said we need to strike that out. Not guidepost recommendations for a survivor care fund, a memorial, 
not all team to carry well curriculum, which is something ERLC put out, not the possibility of a permanent committee or entity. He said, Mark, strike it all out. They received it. I was shocked. They that, that is surprising. And so uh, they took it as a, what they call friendly amendment. So there wasn't a lot of vacancy. Okay, that's fine. We had to vote on that. To me, that was excellent. That made, in my mind, that made the the, the uh, green committee palatable. <laughs> you know, because it gave it, it helped give some direction that was different than what the committee had given. So um, to me, that was important. That was really important. Another issue that was a part of that that uh, was talked about. Uh, they're also talking about creating a list. The um, database database for people who had been credibly accused of sexual abuse. Lots of attention. What does it mean to be credibly accused? They did not want it to leave. They didn't want it to be just to be committed. They wanted to say it's people who had been convicted in a criminal case because they said that's the majority are never, they have said. And so uh, if you just do it with that, then there's only going to be a small percentage of people that would even be affected. So they want to expand it to credibly accuse, they used words like preponderance of evidence, a number of things that were that were talked about there. A lot of people were con- concerned about what that list could look like. Could people be put on that list really who were guilty but and before having a chance to defend themselves for being innocent? So um, I think what they end up coming with coming up with was pretty good on that, but that was and is a little bit of a to see how what that list actually turns out to be. Because even when they presented, when they released that other list that they had, there's already been pushback of people that probably never should have been on that list. Well, good chance for that happening again now. And you basically ruin somebody's life uh, if they're on the list. So, I mean, it's a... It can be misused and abused as well. (laughs) We voted for there to be such a list, but there, there were a number of descriptions of what we needed to take place for someone to be on that list. And hopefully, put some boundaries up there to keep someone who really was innocent from being on the list. So, yeah, if I remember right, there are four criteria to get on the list. Three of them are basically public record. You're convicted, ponderance of evidence. Yeah, you confess. Those are the th- three. Then the fourth one, that's where the argument was, which is where I was concerned as well, because when it originally started, the proposition was that individuals could turn people into the list. And thankfully, they saw the they saw the folly in doing that, so they changed it so that it's churches. So in some ways, it, it leads to this question, I, broadly speaking, because I, I agree with everything Max said about how... The whole idea about not talking about church discipline is a problem. So here's a question. I'll let you put <laughs> Because that created the problem that we're in Correct. now. <laughs> so, so to kind of, why do you think there's, though it didn't come up? Do you have a, do you have a, a guess or an opinion? I have a theory that we talked about last week and we'll probably talk about multiple times, but I want to get your opinion. Do you have a theory as to why you think this idea about church discipline didn't come up from the committee? Well, I think um, one thing is, historically speaking, Baptists used to be very strong. Southern Baptists used to be very strong and consistent in church discipline. That began to fall by the wayside, early, middle 1900s, and then has been recovered really probably since the 1990s. Uh, Nine Marks, uh, Mark Dever, Nine Marks, uh, Tom Aspel founders, several of those groups have had a real hand in bringing that back to the back to uh, the, the forefront 
So a lot of Southern businesses have reinstituted it, whereas before it was. I, mean, I, I remember somebody pretty high up in the in, in the in the denomination because I was talking to him about this. This has been 1990s, and he said, "You can't do that; you'll get sued." But we're supposed to do it. I mean, that's what the scripture says. So there was all kinds of. I mean, nobody even for a long time yeah. nobody even considered this as being realistic. Right, but look what look what happened because we were afraid of being sued. <laughs> We let sexual predators I know. go. I know, that's what. So, and, I think, so it's been recovered, being recovered, but I think it's still not been recovered in the majority of cases. Yes. So there's still right. some major issues there that uh, are not there. And plus, even those of us who try to practice it, I mean, we know it's hard. I mean, it's, it's. Uh, I just feel like we're never as consistent as it should be. You know, there's all kinds of issues with it, of trying to do it the right way. You know, it's going to come out different in different churches, but at least, you know, so I so part of it, I think, it, it just hasn't been applied, but I, and as well. And I people just don't seem to want to talk about it. I uh, I'm kind of amazed that I, I'm not totally sure. And especially, and I think what one thing you're getting at, Matthew, is uh, especially some of the people in the bigger churches. I think a lot of times the bigger the church is, the more difficult it is to actually try to be consistent in church discipline. Is that what you? Mean? Somewhat, I think. It goes back to what we were talking about last week. I think one of the main reasons why we don't practice church discipline like we should is because, back to what you said, how we lost it and and what we replaced it with was a pragmatism. That we have allowed pragmatism to run so wild in the SBC that we'll, we'll just focus about growing the tent Make, getting more people and bringing in more churches, getting bigger so that, so that we accumulate more power. And in doing that, we've forgotten that we're always supposed to be the remnant and not the large group. And so we won't kick anybody out because we're afraid we're going to get sued or we're going to make somebody feel bad. And so we've tolerated any number of sins. This is just the one that's come to the surface. There's, I'm sure I was listening to another podcast before talking about the same thing, that this Sexual abuse, in and of itself, this is this is a symptom. It's not a root, and that there's we, we and that that's one of the things we have to figure out is we have to figure out what are the roots, what created the culture that allowed this just this horrible, vile abuse to just continually fester. So, we we could say a lot more about this, but uh, for sake of time, we need to move on. <laughs> we could spend a whole episode discussing this. I'm sure. So the other issue, this has been underlying the surface for a while among Southern Baptists, but it really came to the forefront, I think, somewhat surprisingly. Rick Warren showed up, and yeah, they years ago they had ordained some women as associate or assistant pastors, but now Rick Warren's chosen his successor, and it's a husband and wife team. She used to be teaching pastor at her former church, uh, so obviously, there, Rick Warren stood up saying he wasn't there to defend himself while defending himself, and this was an issue because all of this, his successor was named right before the SBC. Uh, so the whole issue of women pastors came up for debate again. So we'll I'll let Max start this time and ask you for follow up. <laughs> so what are your thoughts? Um, specifically, I think. I mean, I know what your thoughts are on women pastors, but especially, what what do you feel, how do you feel the messengers were leaning in all of this? 
Saddleback Church, and one thing that was, of course, this this is something that was a carrier from last from 2021's convention because it was a motion was made to look into what Saddleback Church had done. Right. And of course, Saddleback Church is located in Anaheim, California, where the convention took place. Probably, I think for sure, maybe the largest Southern Baptist church in existence. So, pretty significant. Right. Uh, credentials committee who are supposed to look at things like that, whether somebody has done some things that are, you know, kind of against the Baptist faith and message and should no longer continue as a Southern Baptist church. That can happen on a, on a local level, too. It's another thing. I'm not totally sure why it had to go all the way to a credentials committee when there's a local association there who really is supposed to address that before it ever gets to the Big Ten kind of thing. Well, we, we know the answer is because it's Saddleback and it's Rick Warren. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's so. <laughs> And it's the biggest SBC church in existence. That's, right, that's, yeah. that's why. So, uh, but the issue seemed to be, I mean, the issue was more that uh, Baptists have used the word, the title pastor more broadly than I think the scripture calls for and more broadly than what the Baptist faith and message has laid out. So that um, generally, I mean, the pastor is really supposed to be one of the elders, you know, one of the, uh, uh, or pastors, you know, those who are the elders of the church and so forth. Or sometimes we use actually probably a lot, we use the term pastor for someone who is not an elder. You know, they may be a youth pastor, they may be a children's pastor, they may be a women's pastor, whatever it might be. But they would not also be an elder, which actually ends up complicating things and making it difficult. I think they, they were probably leaning toward accepting the idea of uh, what Saddleback was doing and not calling on it. That's what I was, that was the feel I was getting. Until Al Mohler spoke. When Al, Alice Mohler spoke, everybody listened. I mean, it's like all the energy in the room moved towards. I mean, you had probably a good 10,000 people in the room at that point. I mean, and he just commanded the tension. And he was emotional. I mean, he was, I mean, you know, he, he pointed out the fact that you know, he was a part of the committee that had written this particular article in the Baptist Faith and Message back in 2000, and he said, there doesn't need to be a committee to study what Baptists mean by pastor. We all know what we meant when we put that down as far as who the pastor of a church is. You know, and it's, it's the elders. Those, those are the pastors. He said, so he said, you know, the idea is if we're going to feel like we have to restudy every word in our confession, I mean, that's, that's just not going to work. And so, he, you know, Tom Aspel stood up as well and kind of reiterated what, uh, what, Al Mohler had said. I really think Al Mohler speaking turned the tide because then what you also had, you also had then the president of Southwestern Seminary stand up who seemed to be agreeing, siding more with where the credentials committee seemed to be heading and not so much in the same vein as Al Mohler. That was kind of interesting to see that dynamic go on. Um, well, end up Al Mohler, what Al Mohler had to say really carried the day. And, um, Ultimately, this recommendation they were asking was voted down. The credentials committee removed their recommendation. So what that means is it's going to come up again next year. But um, it honestly seemed like people were go were moving toward we can have pastors that aren't women that that are women in other realms and still call them pastors. I think that's kind of where it seemed to be heading, as best as you can kind of feel. But Al Mohler really turned. I mean, that was that turned the tide in my opinion. This points to what Cameron said early on about the de the debate, the discussion that's going on, and the value of it. Yeah. 
I mean, you've mentioned some other things that, like Jonathan Newman's amendment and how that improved what the committee was initially going to put out. And one of the themes I'm hearing is that getting together to discuss these things makes things better. Yeah, it does. And that's really good to to hear. Even though that wasn't necessarily the thing you guys were thinking of on the top, but I, you guys are both saying things that makes it sound like the debate was healthy yeah. and, and helpful in the long run. So I know young people struggle usually with the idea of, of not having women as pastors. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but how did you view the whole discussion going on there? Well, I definitely thought it was wrong for a woman to be pastor, but I know like some people use worship pastor and that, so it's like, okay, what are <laughs> they actually defining pastor with? But at the end of the day, I was thinking, if we're going to have a full-on committee to have a pa- for the word pastor, <laughs> like, when are we actually, like, are we going to have a committee for what does relig- religion mean or something like that? Like, why would we... What on, does Baptist mean? Yeah, why what does would, Southern mean? <laughs> yeah, why would we keep on going and doing that? And, like, how far are we actually going to let it slide? Like, if we're going to go, okay, sure, you're going to let a woman be a children's minister, uh, uh, children's pastor. Like, sure, maybe, like, I get what you're meaning by that, but if you keep on just letting it go down the line, like, eventually I would say there would be women pastors standing right. at the pulpit and preaching. Right. So it sounds like what what you're saying is that if we keep using the term in that way, it's mm-hmm. going to water down the term so that it can end up any anybody can right. use it and it's not mm-hmm. then it's not a helpful term anymore. So that that's a good thought. Any other thoughts about that issue? Nope. You obviously had an opinion about this before you got there, then, mm-hmm. right? I I did hear. So a Al Mohler didn't past. sway you. You already well, had your mind he, made up. He made it more like, okay, I definitely want to go with him just because I totally understand what he's saying by what he's meaning with that. But I was like, okay, maybe like sure, having a definition like maybe that's not a bad thing, but. Then when he said, okay, I actually made this, we all know what we meant, and I was like, okay, he actually knows business, he knows what he actually means. Yeah. So right there was, like, not the turning point in my right. opinion, but it was like, it okay, solidified. This, yeah, solidified. Yeah. Well, is, if you uh, want to think about it more, you can listen to last week's episode, because yeah. that, that, this conversation was the genesis of why we talked about what is a pastor last week. Yeah. So that would, there's more there if you want to listen to that. If you want to hear our thoughts. If you want to hear Jeremy and my if thoughts. If you want to hear Cameron's thoughts, right. you'll just have to talk to him after church on Sunday, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the only thing that I have left is to talk about, are there any reasons for hope? Because if you look at social media... It's all doom and gloom. The SBC is going to hell in a handbasket, and um, that's <laughs> and the best thing to do is jump ship now before the Titanic falls out or sinks down underneath the water. Is that vision of what's happening true? Is there no hope, or is there still hope for the SBC? I say yes, and there's actually uh, two things that I would say related to that. One is, I mean. Uh, at least part of what people are saying, I know, when they talk about no hope, has to do with the sexual abuse uh, issue. But I do think that there's sexual abuse has obviously happened. 
within Southern Baptist churches. The extent to which it's happened, I think, is a, a whole lot less than what I think the general population has in mind. And so I think that there, I mean, I just, it's an issue that we need to address, and I think we are addressing it. I just don't believe it's as widespread as people are saying it is. So to me, that's hopeful in the fact that, uh, that, that I, in, in, my, in my opinion. Another thing that was hopeful to me was kind of just a side thing that happened. Uh, one of my friends, old friends, uh, got, uh, got all of his tickets to the Southwestern Seminary luncheon. Uh, stay free. It was really cool. And one thing that was interesting while I was there, after that we, we, we'd already heard about uh, you know, who was going to be president, some of these different things. And most of the people that I wanted to win elections had not won. And so there just been a number of things going on. Well, I mean, it was Southwestern. Bart Barber's a Southwestern graduate, so they had him there, and everybody was cheering that he won. I thought, well, he's a good guy, but my guy didn't win. Um, Who also went to Southwestern, didn't he? I think he did, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but there was a, there were just a number of things that were, that were there. But I was feeling a little bit... I still had the encouragement side, but I had some discouraging things as well. And uh, But they were also... Uh, Talking about some of the books, we got a free book on the authority and sufficiency of scripture. Hold it up so your so your viewers can see <laughs> um, that we got for free. And I've already I've read several articles in it, which are, are good. Who, who's it by? Well, so that are it's by Adam Greenway, who's the president of Southwestern Seminary, and David Dockery, who was uh, I'm sure what his title is now. He used to be president of Union, uh, Union College, but uh, um, he's done a, he's done a lot of things in the Southern Baptist. And so, but they're editors, and but actually the articles are by a number of different people who are talking about the authority of Scripture and different aspects of church life and so forth. Very good. But he was saying, in our church, you know, he said, our seminaries really published more on this on this than any other seminaries in recent years. And he mentioned how they had republished uh, Baptist and the Bible, you know, which came out when I was in seminary back in the 80s. Um, that was one of, my, one of my textbooks. Well, what was interesting is, as we were closing... And we were singing a hymn as a, as a closing. I looked over and I noticed that Tom Nettles was over there. And I was feeling a little bit discouraged about some things. And I thought, I wonder how Tom Nettles seemed about this. Because Southwestern, he was asked to leave Southwestern in the middle 80s. Right. Because of his Calvinistic belief system. And I'm not sure if he was fired. or But somehow he was not allowed to. Just before I got there is when he was asked to leave. One of his best friends in the world, I know, is Tom Askell. He nominated another one of his students as a second vice president, first or second vice president, and he got he, he was the co-author of that book, Baptist in the Bible, that Adam Greenway was just saying, we just published this. He ignored, they didn't even mention the co-author was standing right there in the room. And so I thought, if I'm Tom Nettles, how am I feeling right now? He was singing the hymn with everybody else. To me, that was a really good example to me. You know, there were some things that I'm sure had not gone his way. <laughs> on the way that he would like to have same things done. But he was singing along with his fellow Christians at the seminary that forced him out in the Middle Ages and um, was singing and worship along with them. And so uh, that was just an encouraging thing. If I could figure out a way to get in touch with him, I'd be not sure it's quite hard to do. I think I was just want to write him and tell him that that really made a difference to me. So um, that was encouraging. You know, to me, that there's hope. Or we can have some difference of opinion, who gets elected and how things are done. But overall, you know, I really believe that, for the most part, Baptists believe that uh, in, in the authority and sufficiency of the Scriptures. And, you know, the uh, missions program, I think, is strong, strong, and seminaries are strong, and there's lots of good things going on. 
And so uh, I feel like I feel like we're in a good association that I feel real confident in. So uh, I see lots of hope. I mean, there's still things I'm concerned about, but overall, I do see lots of hope. Cameron, I know this was your first Southern Baptist convention, but you know, I described what 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 I'm seeing on social media. <laughs> Does that match with what you saw at the Southern Baptist convention? I would say no, just because I mean. It's, I don't know how to word it, but I think it was really, um, there's always really hope with Christianity. Like, even just the world wants to suppress Christianity, and the SPC, it looked like the changes they made this convention is actually going to help throughout the rest of the next decade, and then hopefully just keep on going which I think that's encouraging, but there was also, as Pastor Max said, there was stuff where it's like, okay, I don't know, that's a concern like that, but I think in the majority it's hopeful. So it sounds to me like, to sum up what you guys are saying, that there's hope, but we still need to be vigilant. We still need yeah. to, to watch out, because uh, that hope could be quickly dashed mm-hmm. if things turn the wrong way. We thank you for listening to this episode of Ordinary Fellowship, podcast ministry of Two Rivers Community Church. For more information about Two Rivers, you can find it on our website at www.tworiverscc.org. We look forward to questions, comments, or even dreaded hate mail at ordinaryfellowship at gmail.com. Please follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Ordinary Fellowship and like, subscribe, and rate this podcast on whatever service you listen to us on. But for now, we want to thank you once again for listening to this episode of Ordinary Fellowship where we're striving to have spiritual conversations for practical Christian living. Mm-hmm.